Good evening and welcome to Elosa Fumar Takes. This is our 218th take live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azel, Texas. I'm your host, Barry Duplissy, as always, and I'm so proud, so pleased, and so privileged to be with you all tonight. This is going to be a fantastic show. We're so excited to have this gentleman back and to kick, I to officially kick post-PCA trade show coverage off uh, because we started this tradition last year and we're picking it up again this year. But before we get to formal introductions, we do have to thank the people that make this show possible. That, of course, is our sponsors. And tonight's show is sponsored by Juro Estate. The Pope is back. Yep, that's right. The Pope of Greenwich Village will soon is now available at Smoke Inn's uh, website as part of their famed Micro Blend series. The 2022 launch of the limited edition cigar will be available uh, from now until it's sold out, only 800 bundles. A collection of rare small batch cigars, Smoke In's Micro Blend series, is a collaboration between some of the premium cigar industry's top companies and Smoke In's owner, Abe DeBabna. The Pope of Greenwich Village, named to honor one of uh, Drew Estate founder and President Jonathan Drew's favorite movies, debuted in 2015 as the 10th Micro Blend series. Smoke In and Drew Estate resurrected the Pope of Greenwich Village last year in 2021, and it's again available this year so check out smoke in for the 2022 edition of the pope of greenwich village from drew estate and welcome everybody this is our 218th take and uh and tonight's guest is sponsored by united cigar smoke one today and start living united yes he is michael harklotz of feriotego michael how are you doing my friend 218 i mean yeah can you believe it, bro? It every day, every week, I say the number, and it, 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 I mean, I, I mean, I was, I mean, I was dumbfounded at like forty. So, yeah, two hundred eight. Congratulations! That's thank amazing. You. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, coming up on our fifth year celebration later this year. I, I, I can't believe I've been doing this for five years, half a decade. That's gonna be crazy. It's just Wild. Nuts. worth it. Totally yeah, worth it. Absolutely worth it. Absolutely. Uh, Michael, it's so good to have you again on the show. Thank you so much for uh, for agreeing to join us. Uh, yeah, man. Thanks for being flexible. I was uh, supposed to be on a couple of weeks ago, but I'm glad we got the reschedule. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm the uh, I'm really excited. I bought I bought this uh, this box of cigars in anticipation for tonight's show uh, for when we were planning it and everything. So I'm really excited to to uh, open up a box of timeless Sterling Robusto here. It's got good the Ferio Tego label, you know. So it's the genuine, it is the genuine article. The genuine article. Yeah. So got this open and everything. Are you going to be smoking tonight or I see that you're, uh, you're indoors? You know what? I am, um, I do have a nice little smoking office now, but uh, I'm flying tomorrow and I've started a uh, new tradition of just staying lean and clean my day before a trip. Mm -hmm. Just uh, full reset. So I'm not smoking. I'm not drinking. I'll probably make the most sense I've ever made. It might. This might not be any fun at all. I'm actually. I'm a little nervous. I was gonna do great. No, I, um, I, w I was gonna actually ask you about uh, if if you were gonna be drinking some wine because we we noted that this was the first time I had you on. This was the you were in your you were I guess you said your dining room. Um, yeah. Uh, before, so I, I remembered the wine bottles and we had a nice discussion about wine and stuff. So, is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Did, do you find like it's just better for travel um, or, you know, it just you feel better the next day or what less anxiety or, you know, I don't know. I just find that um, having a uh, I mean, let's face it out on the road as much as I have been, um, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot of eating, a lot of drinking, a lot of late nights, a lot of enjoying cigars. So just to have 
you know, mm-hmm. one night of just healthy, restful sleep sure. and then, uh, you know, wake up in time for early flights. That's it. Plus, I mean, it's not bad to give your body a reset. Every, yeah, absolutely. Uh, every little while. Yeah, I mean, I had a I had a two month reset leading up to PCA. So, but d- double pneumonia right. will do that to that. It will do that. To that's you. right. I forgot about that. Yeah, uh, two months. That's a that's a long reset. Yeah. Uh, but but do you find things taste better and different? And like, do you have a a kind of renewed appreciation? I, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I got to be honest. I was ter- I was terrified of. I mean, yeah. I would. I was still, I mean, I was still coughing, um, not as bad as I was, you know, but I was still coughing about two weeks before the trade show. So I was still yeah. nervous. I um, remember watching a show that you were, that you were doing and you were, you had to keep muting. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was frustrating. It was frustrating. And, and, uh, but I mean, I was terrified of that, of that first cigar. And, and once I lit it up and everything and I was like, okay, I I'm good. All right, cool. Yeah. Um, and it, 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 uh, it definitely relaxed me, but yeah, to answer your question, uh, yeah, I definitely found, um, my palate reawakened in a lot of ways. So I enjoyed yeah. cigars more than I ever did before. Um, and there were a lot of good trade show, um, cigars this year. Like, you know, we talk about the, the Vegas effect and everything like that, and, but everyone seemed to keep their cigars like really, really well humidified. I felt like, and, um, they, I mean, they, a lot of cigars tasted really good. So I don't know. You mean while you were there? Yeah. While I was there. Yeah. You know, I think uh, if for what it's worth, you had a room full of people who really cared. You know, you had a room full of people who were paying attention. You had a lot of new vendors who um, who probably put more care and effort into protecting and preserving their products than maybe other companies did. Um, So, okay, it's great. I'm glad it I'm glad it worked out. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like the, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, there were more, um, there were, there were less samples given out, um, which, you know, all joking aside, like that, that is what it is, but, but everyone, like hardly anyone handled you hand, just handed you a cigar. They're all in bags. They're all with Boveda or humidification of some kind and stuff like that. So yeah, like you said, there, people just really took the extra effort this year, I think, uh, more so than in years past. I mean, there've always been companies who've done that and kind of gone the extra mile, but it was, uh, it was, uh, you know, really cool. Um, really great experience that the, uh, awesome. so, uh, we're going to get, and we're actually going to get into the trade show here, but I, I wanted to ask you, so this is kind of, <laughs> kind of a, a funny story. Um, so my, just outside this window over here, my, my, my kids have this, like one of these inflatable pools and everything. And then they had like a slip and we had a slip and slide that you fill with water. And then there's this other thing that you fill with water. And we did that all this morning. And I know you got kids and everything. And so we thought, Hey, it would be a really good idea if we recycled the water to fill up the inflatable pool. Right. Instead of just, you know, getting more water and everything like that. Well, that was trying to, we were trying to like lift this, you know, you know, inflative patch or whatever and slip and slide and getting the water water to dump into this pool right um and i have to say that my back hurts worse than at any point in my entire life right now (laughs) even you know it's amazing how heavy water is (laughs) it's unbelievable impossible it is to lift so so he brought me about this question because i know you have young kids what's the dumbest thing you've ever done for your children or (laughs) that um I mean, it might be just trying to set up the most 
complicated thing the night before a very important holiday. Right. You know, um, because inevitably it takes me four times as long to get that done. And, you know, I'm not convinced it's been done properly. That might be one. Um, I mean, I'm sure I've dressed up or done something ridiculous. It's all ridiculous. Look, once you're a parent, right? I mean, let's face it. it the, yeah. the level of ridiculous that we do on a regular basis just to make them laugh or feel good, <laughs> you know, it's worth right. it. Right. Oh, worth absolutely. It. I don't know. It's too many things. Absolutely. Yeah. The uh, the late night battery runs too on, on those holidays too. Those are, that's fun. Done that twice already oh. in my young my young parenthood life that's crazy oh, like can we just terrible. i was like can we not do this anymore so now i have them stacked i've, I've learned my lesson i have like a i've i've, I've hoarded some batteries so smart yeah smart it only took it only took me two tries michael so, so. did you actually <laughs> successfully recycle water yeah yeah it it got we got we got most of it into the into the you know inflate pool and everything so that was Impressive. nice yeah it was it was an absolute beating but uh but yeah it happened um and you know it led to hours of enjoyment so that was that was well worth it i mean i was worth you know it. yeah i was sitting outside in 100 degree heat in the shade though so it was fine smoking you a cigar the no i was too tired <laughs> to get into... my wife did my wife was cooled off so i but yeah no okay. i just i just sat a, i just sat outside of it and smoked a cigar and, and uh tried to try to catch my breath after two hours it was fine but... <laughs> <laughs> well, but... you're still with us yeah, I made it. So it's all good. Um, but, um, but yeah, we were talking about the, the trade show, Michael. I mean, and so, I mean, that kind of leads us into tonight's major point. So we'll go ahead and get that started. Uh, tonight's major point is brought to you by the people. Yes, cigar people, the people who know everything about a lifetime of service. Protocol Cigars is more than just pool parties and good times. Well, maybe it is. But behind the fun is a motivation for service, a motivation for giving back. From the original Protocol Blue to the latest release in the Laman series, Phoebe Cousins, it's what their Protocol Cigars has always been about, passion, yet uh, honor, and yes, the people. It's what their life's work has been and always will be about, power of the P, Protocol Cigars. So, Michael, this was uh, this was an important trade show for Ferio Tego. One, would, one might argue that it was the official first show of trade show of Ferio Tego. Um, but not really. I still counted last year. I think it was, I think it was really, I think it was a really fantastic opportunity for you guys last year and what you guys were able to accomplish. Um, but I mean, this, but how, what, but what was your opinion of it going into this trade show? I mean, what were your expectations of how you were representing the company and what, what was the, what was the big goal going in? Well, listen, I mean, you are right this was the first kind of official um, show for us to do business. But last year, our participation at that show um, was super important. I mean, I was so proud of everything we did, um, you know, with, with, with nothing, let's face it, but just the ability to have those important conversations and, and re-engage relationships. Um, it was a very important show for us this year though um, was important for a different reason because we weren't just telling a story. We were really finally connecting with people face to face to say, thank you. Um, because by the time we were at the show, we were um, I guess nine months in market and we've accomplished a lot in nine months. 
And, um, you know, I've started to make it out into market and to see accounts and, and be able to express gratitude face to face. But really, this was the first opportunity to do that at a, uh, at a large scale. Um, and so it, going into it, I had um, very high hopes and I had very low expectations. Um, I wasn't clear exactly on who or how many would show up, although I was absolutely convinced that everyone who did show up um, was going to be positive and optimistic. And, and so I knew that the vibe of the show would be great. I knew it would be a successful show no matter what, but I didn't exactly know how the show would, would sort of um, fall out, you know, over those four days. Um, but I was incredibly impressed. I mean, we were super busy the first two days. Um, I really, I don't think I ever left the booth. Um, and then, you know, we opened up a little bit on the third day, um, but it was just a steady rhythm and really kind of um, a nice balance of talking with people who were completely unfamiliar with our brand and our products um, to being able to sit down and say thank you to people who have supported us from day one as Ferry Otego and then sitting down with people that, you know, have supported Timeless and Metropolitan going back to when they were released, some of them in the 1990s. I mean, oh, wow. I think, you know, I saw Steve Willett from LJ Peretti's. He's carried the original Nat Sherman. He's always carried Nat Sherman um, from, from back in the day. So to continue on with Metropolitan now as Ferry Otego is very meaningful for me that a guy like Steve at Peretti's would continue to carrying uh, the, the sort of legacy of Metropolitan under my company. Um, but it was just a great show, man. And, uh, you know, certainly talking with folks after, whether it was in restaurants or at the bars or, or wherever, um, I really did not experience firsthand any negativity. I feel mm -hmm. like everyone really, really loved it. I also, this is an important show because it's my first show uh, as a member of the board. So I started on Thursday with a board meeting um, that I, I had a blast. I thought I was, I was really, really um, impressed with the level of engagement of everyone on the board. There's clearly a tremendous amount of work that gets done on that board. And, you know, I think a lot of that work goes um, unrecognized. Um, and so hopefully we'll, we'll be able to, um, to kind of share what's happening with a little bit more transparency and regularity so that everyone knows kind of what's happening. But it was great to start off in a board meeting and get to know people I hadn't, uh, I hadn't met yet and then jump right into the show. It was, it was tremendous. Yeah. We're, we're going to go into that uh, right now, Mark, cause that's, I think that's, that's a, that was a really momentous achievement for for you and for the industry as they're kind of, there's this, this chain shifting that, you know, hasn't been there in the past when it comes to, in terms of the PCA board. Um, I, I do want to make a, a, a amend my comment earlier just about how this this was your first official trade show. But yes, yeah, we cannot discount the importance of last year for the reasons that you mentioned, but also in 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 no small part, you know, the trade show last year happened in in large part because of because of Ferry Otego. You guys were a title sponsor, so uh, that's I mean, 
yeah, you didn't showcase any product. And yeah, this was the first official year for it. But I mean, make no mistake how 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 crucial, how important Fairy Ortega was to the trade show the past two years, too. Uh, not yeah, just nice to yourself, hear. So. That's so. nice to hear. It's an important trade show. It's also more importantly than a trade show. It's a very important association. It's the single most important association for handmade premium cigars. And, you know, I've said this on shows in the past. I said it in the room during the board meeting. We have a, it's not a, it's not a criticism. It's a reality that, that over the years, the RTDA, then the IPCPR, now the PCA for, for all intents and purposes have started to become conflated with an event as opposed to an association. The reality is the PCA is an association 365 days a year. Um, and they hold a conference and a trade show four or five of those days. But I think it's really important that we focus on the importance of PCA supporting the trade show, but also supporting the association at large is very important to Ferry Otego. Um, in fact, if it wasn't our first check, it was our second check as a company went to the association for our dues um, back in 2021. I remember so you telling me that. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're very proud of it. We think it's very important and, uh, and uh, you know, we're very proud to be there. So let's talk about that change that happened this year. So they opened up two spots on the board um, and um, one was filled by you and the other was Jared Trudeau of Christoph Cigars. And I, I you know, there were some excellent candidates uh, that were up for these two positions. And I know any of them would have done a tremendous job, but I'm really excited for you and Jared. Um, two very, I think, very unique perspectives. Um, and yet two almost but two unique perspectives, but two, uh, I think, important perspectives too. So, so talk about, uh, you talk about, first of all, the, like, how, how did this come to be? Were you, were you nominated? Did you, did, uh, did they, did the PCA approach you about this position? How did this all come to pass? And, and, and what does this ultimately mean now that you and Jared are on the board? Well, I think I'm a big believer in if, if, um, if you're not pleased with the way things are going and you think you have an opportunity to, to offer help or an opinion or expertise or whatever, and you're willing to serve and, and give of your time, then you should do it. Um, so I, I, uh, it was first a self-nomination process for consideration. I believe that went to a board vote and the board presented their final candidates to the membership for ultimate election. Um, and so if I recall, the ballot had maybe seven people for the um, for the manufacturer's uh, board seat. And yeah, Jared and I uh, were elected by, by, by uh, retail members, as I understand it. Um, and so what that means now, you know, this is, this board just grew pretty considerably in retailer and manufacturer opinion um, with additional seats. But what I'm hoping it brings is just continued diversity of thought um, mm -hmm. and continued amplification of the opinions of members. I mean, I certainly don't believe for a moment that I'm elected to simply share my opinion. I believe I'm elected to be a conduit for members to share their opinions. And it's it's up to me to help 
you know, uh, pass along those those messages um, in an organized way. So I'm I'm just really excited about trying to be a thoughtful listener to really understand what the membership um, wants from the association first, mm-hmm. um, second from the trade show, um, and then see how we can start to try and affect, um, you know, whether it's change or whether it's modifications or, or tweaks, whatever they are, to just keep things moving in a forward direction. You know, it's mm-hmm. this year is 2022. The next show is 23. We're not going backwards. This, there's only one way forwards. And so it's right. very important that we, that we all move together. We find the things that we're the closest aligned on. We amplify those. Um, and then we try and focus on things that maybe we have less agreement on. Yeah. Um, I think it's, you know, you just mentioned something very interesting there. Cause I, I wanted to ask about what your goals were uh, and you kind of answered it um, as part of the board. And it's, it's not to just share your perspective, which I thought, which I said initially was like one of the great things that I think is, is great about you being on the board is your perspective. But um, I think it's important that, that, you're opting to also be a conduit, like you said, for, for members of the PCA so that they can have. Yeah. Look, my, my perspective is part of me. I mean, you know, I'm, I feel very fortunate that I've been able to experience really all the, all the facets of the industry, Um, you know, retail, manufacturing, big public companies, small family businesses, Uh, you know, it's been a, it's been an incredible 20, whatever, three years. Um, but I don't think I was elected to give my perspective. I think, at least I believe I was elected to use my perspective, um, in, in helping craft the conversation and help think about things differently. I mean, that's what I've always enjoyed about, about having such a diverse perspective over the last 20, whatever years, um, is that as things come up, I I never looked at them only as a retailer or only as a manufacturer. Um, I always looked at them through all the different lenses. I was on the TAA board for, I think, four or five years. And that's what I was going to, yeah, I was going to mention that experience as well. Yeah. So, yeah. And so that part of what I think um, made my role helpful on that board was the fact that I could, I could see the different perspectives at the same time. And I hope I, I can do the same thing for PCA. Do you, uh, so how how long is the term? Is it two? Is it two years? Two or three. Two or three years. Okay. So, um, and if if this question sounds like the one that I just asked previous, I I, I promise there's a there's a there's a different intention. So if I need to keep talking, I will, <laughs> Michael. But is there is there an agenda that you're going in with? Uh, like, is there are there certain things that you want to accomplish other than being this conduit that you talked about? Um, the only thing I want to, if if I have one thing going in. And this is what I just shared and I shared it in the meeting. It was just making sure that we continue to clarify that the PCA is an association and that association has a tremendous value to its members. Um, And that is a 365 day a year association. The trade show and the convention associated with it is probably the most important annual event we do as an association. Um, but it is, it is definitely not the most important work we do. 
the most important work we do as association is probably best evidenced as what happened immediately before the show this year. Right. Um, when we had tremendous progress in our uh, relationship with the FDA. And that's, that's a huge, huge development that is, you know, in no small part to the efforts of PCA as well as CRA and CAA. So that's the stuff where to understand how that could have happened, I think the PCA needs to do a better job of, of keeping people posted along the way about the work that's being done and what others can do to help. So that's really my agenda is, is just to, to, to help clarify, maybe help provide more transparency, um, give, give wider perspective, um, also present the, the perspectives of, of retailers that feel like perhaps either A, their voices aren't being heard, B, uh, they're unhappy with, uh, with what they perceive as a, as a direction, uh, because I can understand people's frustrations as well, and manufacturers for that matter. You know, people who, who uh, there's plenty of companies at this point who are members in good standing of this association who are not going to the trade show. And I think ultimately our trade show is better when we have wider attendance. So, you know, another personal goal of mine would be to help figure out how to, um, how to re-recruit retailers and manufacturers and other vendors who at some point along the way have decided that, um, that the trade show is not worth attending. We need to make the trade show worth attending. And that's work to do. Indeed. Well, it's it's like I said, it's certainly exciting. I'm really glad that I'm really glad in a lot of ways that they expanded it, and I'm glad that they're getting they're getting these unique perspectives and and uh, getting some you know fresh blood on the board, and, and so that we can to your to your last point, Michael, is how do we keep get people coming back, uh, keep them coming yeah. back, and how do we get how do we get the people who've been away for for a long time? Well, know? here's the other thing. For, for a company or an entity or a person to decide not to come to the trade show, no problem. I mean, that's, you know, I, I've never felt uh, angry or ill about someone making a business decision. You know, people make a decision like that for all kinds of reasons. Right. And I don't, I don't pretend to know them, nor would I expect anyone to know why I decide to spend my money in one place or another place. So I don't, I, I, I'm not, angry or upset or, or, um, you know, I, frankly, I don't have much of an opinion about it. If people want to go, they should go. And if they don't want to go, they definitely should not go because the reason this show felt so great this year was because everybody wanted to be there. hundred percent. And that to me is the most valuable when you fill the room, whether it's a hundred percent of the membership, 80% of the membership, you fill the room with people who want to be there, who want to give their time, who want to work harder, that's a room I want to be in. Those are people I want to be around. But going Absolutely. back to my point earlier, we need to help create more of that value so more people say, you know what? I want to be back in that room again. Yeah, that's two years in a row where it, it really felt like there wasn't there wasn't any <laughs> grumbling like it I you know, and I'm sure there was, like there's always a negative Nancy in the room or whatever, but like but like everyone who wanted to be there wanted to be there and you could feel it. You could feel it when you're walking from booth to booth, you could feel it in the booth. Um, 
the smiles on people's faces, just the, the energy in general was just uh, was just a ton of fun. It was really it good. It was great. And it gave, you know what? There was also a, a lot of opportunity for people to shine. And a lot of people got attention that maybe they wouldn't have gotten. They got visitors that maybe they wouldn't mm -hmm. have gotten. So I think it was a win-win for everybody there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so back to that attention to our, our original point, Michael, you know, with this being, you know, this being a, you know, the first trade show where you guys were able to sell product and everything, Let, let's have look back, product. had product to sell. Yeah. Had product to sell the, uh, let's look back at just the last year, um, you know, that, uh, that, the uh, Ferry Otego has had and everything. I mean, I, I, I mean, I certainly have my own, my own positive opinions about it, but I wanted to hear it from you. I mean, what, what, uh, but here's my first question about last year in reflection, what unexpectedly went right? Um, we are in, as of the close of the show, almost 800 stores, over 800 stores in the United States of America. I mean, that is a number that I'm so incredibly proud of. Um, I'm not going to say I, well, I certainly hoped for it. I don't know if I necessarily expected it because that's a monster number yeah. uh, in a relatively short amount of time. Um, but the fact that we are in that number of stores within nine months um, certainly exceeded expectations from a, from a distribution standpoint. That is really staggering. Um, that's probably the one that stands out the most. The other, um, I would say, was the, was the closing 2021 accolades. Mm -hmm. I was hoping people would really like what we did. Um, there was obviously a tremendous amount of momentum and enthusiasm um, and high expectations for us um, going into our launch. So, you know, when expectations are that high, it's very easy for um, for disappointment, I guess, to follow, you know? <laughs> I mean, when, when things are so blown up, um, but to see, you know, all of the accolades that we received, the incredible reviews on Dojo um, with the number one and number three, you know, new company of the year and person of the year and brand of the year and all those things. I mean, that was really quite overwhelming to see that level of, of recognition of a job well done. You know, it certainly felt like we were working hard and it felt like people liked what we were doing, but it was really great to see it and read it. One of, one of the things that I, I kind of recognized in the past year was and this is from my own affinity to Michael for for whatever it's worth, but I really and I really enjoyed the renaissance that these brands were have achieved, because you know like we were talking, um, you mentioned the retailer you, that's been carrying Metropolitan and Host for twenty plus years, you know, um, and you know I think for a lot of, for a lot of us you know it, it was. In a way, it was kind of smoking the cigar for the first time, but in a lot of ways, it wasn't. And it was this really unique experience. Again, this is from my perspective, but I got this a lot from other people I talked to about this. That it was, it was this. I mean, because we'll never, you'll never have this. I mean, very, very, very seldom chance to have an experience like this again. 
oh, you know, with God, the story I, and everything. I so I can't do this again. <laughs> of course not. Oh, we can't do it again. No, man. The the what you're saying is is it's very difficult to explain the process of the last year. You know, like the the very first questions people asked is, oh, are, are the blends the same? Well, yes, kind of, but no, because they can't be. So the experiences are supposed to be the same. And we've worked really hard to maintain the experiences, despite the fact that the blends had to change in order for experiences to be consistent. Um, and so I was actually on with someone um, a couple of months ago, and we were actually talking about music. And, and But somehow through the, the conversation of this music, this analogy has now really resonated with me so much. What we did for Timeless and Metropolitan was really have the opportunity to remaster these classics to be enjoyed in a 2022 way. Mm -hmm. So as opposed to buying you a brand new original 45 of a Beatles album, Instead, you're listening to the Beatles on Beats headphones that have been re-engineered so that they are exactly the same, but um, but you're you're hearing it differently. You right. know what I mean? Like the yeah. song's the same. They didn't re-record it. It's the same recording, but they were able to go in and kind of engineer it in a way to make it sound the best it's ever sounded just like the original. And that's really what we did. These are the best these blends have ever been. And for those who it's their favorite, um, when they light them up, it should still be their favorite. It should absolutely still be their favorite. But for those who haven't smoked them in a while or, or, maybe weren't enjoying them towards the towards the last few years and are just discovering them now, they should either be as nostalgically reminiscent as the first one you had, however long ago that was, or even better, if you're just discovering Metropolitan today for the first time since 1995, that, sh that cigar should be as exciting and relevant and delicious today as it was in 1995. And I feel like that's really what we have achieved um, from January of 21 until October when, when we started shipping was really re-engineering and remastering these classics so that they are in fact the same and the best they've ever been. Yeah, I had that, that experience when we spoke the prestige the, the Ferio Tego prestige for the first time. And, uh, and I was like, it, it, it was, it was this, this very unique experience, like I was saying, because it was, it was, it was familiar, but it wasn't. And yeah. I really like that metaphor. That's, that's really, that's pretty, uh, <laughs> that's pretty poignant because yeah, I mean, you can listen to a fantastic album on vinyl and there's something, there's something amazing about it. There's something incredible about it. You know, and I'm not a music guy. But I could certainly enjoy that. But at the the sec, but on the second hand, listening to it in a different experience, like with, you know, you know, Beats headphones or whatever, and like noise cancellation and everything, and you're you're really forced to hear just the sound, 
yeah. it's a completely different experience. I totally agree. I think, and it's really- not it's not quite apples to apples, obviously, but but I think it does help kind of frame what it was that we were trying to do, which is not reinvent anything, not reblend anything, but we certainly did not want to go to market with a dusty portfolio. That wasn't the plan either. It wasn't, right. you know, dragging out grandma's bones to go sell. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? This is this is new and fresh and exciting, but it happens to represent, you know, a, an opus of work that goes back to 1994, mm-hmm. which I will never say opus again on a cigar that should, I think there's already a, a letter coming my way because I said the O word. I shouldn't have done that, but you know what I mean. It's the true meaning of the word. Yes, the Mer- the Merriam-Webster's dictionary version. Right. So, uh, yes. Let it let it be said loud uh, and on the record that there is not a Ferriotego Opus cigar. Yes. Period. Lord, done. No. Done. Um, I got you. I got your back, Michael. Um, Thank so, you. <laughs> um, but and that kind of leads to the the opposite part of the question so we talked about what unexpectedly went right 800 stores we talked about this being my 218th take that number has to blow you away even as you say it out loud which one 800 it's bonkers it's bonkers it's 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 you know, I mean, and obviously, like, let's give credit where credit's due. That's not because 800 people were waiting in line who just couldn't wait to get their hands on Ferry Otego. That's because we have an incredible relationship with Davidoff USA, who's our distribution partner, and their sales team went out and hit the streets and represented it like it was theirs. And people reordered it. And that's because our manufacturing partners are the best in the business. And they have kept us in the front of the line and protected our blends and maintained quality and consistency to a, to a level that um, we have come to to expect since I started working with these folks, you know, upwards of 10 years ago. Um, you know, that level of, of trust, mutual trust and respect um, has really proven to be uh you know, just critical in our, in our ability to, to scale and grow our business. So it's, you know, that's, we're very, very lucky. I don't want to, I don't want to trivialize, trivialize this, Michael, by saying like, what was your, what was the best feeling? But I, I do want to ask like how, how they differed in a way. Right. And here, here's my question. So we, I think we talked last time about, how you know you were able to still keep production with the the families and the factories that you all that uh, the Sherman family had for years. You were able to, you know, full circle distribution through you. You know, you mentioned your amazing team with Davidoff. Um, the yeah, at the time it wasn't 800, but I mean at the time you were being welcomed back by all these retailers who had been a part of the family in the past. You know, as you eat, as you had those, those each in those experiences coming back and you, you had those conversations and everything, how did they differ from one another? I mean, I know that they were, they were uplifting and they were probably, you know, as you, as you mentioned before, you were very gracious to everyone, but how, how, how did they differ from each other? Like each time and in each different way, you were, you were welcomed back, like nothing had changed. Well, 
And so along with nothing having changed is also some of the level of skepticism um, that was in the market, whether it's from retailers, consumers, you know, they're, for, for the 800 stores that are selling our cigars today, there's a hell of a lot of them that aren't. Right. And so there's still a tremendous amount of skepticism. I'm always grateful for the conversations where people will share with me why um, they don't want to sell it or why they don't believe in it, because that's something I can learn from. Yeah. If it's just, I don't want to, well, that's, I can't do anything with that. So, which <laughs> is perfectly fine. Yeah. Then we just move on. Like I can, um, I can respect your opinion, but <laughs> can so, you, you give know, me there something? Were, <laughs> there were lots of, conversations that were enthusiastic and um you know genuinely rooting for us and wishing us well and all that but you know there were also plenty of conversations that would say you know we tried timeless once it didn't work we had metropolitan once it didn't work ferio tego no one's ever heard of it 22 dollars for your first cigar or 21 dollars for your first cigar you know who do you think you are there were lots of those too I was at least grateful when those happened face to face, as opposed to having to hear about them afterwards. Sure. Um, but, you know, those are all really important perspectives. And, you know, I think having those conversations or at least hearing about them really helped, um, helped me clarify the things that were the most important when I was speaking with folks who were potentially skeptical or, um, or you know, had, had didn't know enough about us um, to be excited. Um, but you know, what I'm what I'm always grateful for is just there, even for those who were skeptical, even for those um, who don't offer our products today. I still genuinely get the sense um, that people are rooting for us to be successful. And, and, uh, and so if there is a, an underlying shared theme, despite the fact that so many of those conversations are so different, the shared theme really is in what feels like genuine enthusiasm um, to see us succeed. And that's been, you know, that's, that's a tough thing to quantify when it, it does feel like um, in a large part, the cigar universe is really rooting for you to win. I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with that, Michael. I, I think, I think there's been an incredible amount of positivity and, and encouragement for you, for you, for this entire journey and for you guys, because you're right. I mean, I, I mean, you hear, you hear some of the negativity about, you know, other things or people don't like this particular brand for whatever reason and whatnot and stuff like that. And, and there's like you had pointed out, there's certain, there's certain reason whether good or not, but there's certain reason for people to be skeptical, right? When you walk sure. into their, when you darken their door. But at the same time, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I don't think there's anyone who's like rooting for, for anything but your success. And yeah. it's not, and it's not the same as I'm rooting for him not to lose. I'm rooting for him to win. And that's, that, yeah. there's a very, that's a very important distinction. I think you're absolutely right. And I feel it and I felt it since the beginning. And I guess going back to like, you know, what went right, what went expected, what, you know, when you're, when you have that amount of momentum and really attention, I mean, you know, and I'm grateful for it, but we did have a lot of spotlight leading up to our release um, with the, um, you know, possibility of disappointment, God forbid, failure. 
Um, you know, you also wonder if some of that enthusiasm is just lip service. You know, what? how much of that will turn into genuine support, a real chance, you know, uh, and that's a lot to ask for, to have consumers actually reach into their pocket and spend their money on, on my brands. That's a lot to ask for. And it's a lot to ask for retailers to write a check for, you know, hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars to put my brands on their shelves. That's a lot to ask for. And so I was, I was prepared that the outcome would not necessarily match the enthusiasm because when it really comes time to, to pay, you know, these are not easy times. So everyone has to scrutinize every dollar, consumers, retailers, distributors, um, and, and regardless of legacy, regardless of familiarity of brand, regardless of, of time served in the industry, we were brand new and we did not earn a spot um, or excuse me, we didn't inherit a spot in a humidor. We had to start over and earn that spot from scratch, one store at a time, one conversation at a time, one cigar at a time. So those 800, you know, it, they were all work because they all took a specific decision for someone to opt in. And so for those 800 doors to have decided to opt in to Ferriotego, I am speechless and grateful. Absolutely. So, so turn about on the question here, Michael, what, and I'll, I'll give you an example of what I mean by what unexpectedly went wrong, which is the question. Um, and this was, a, this was an issue that you mentioned, this was an issue that a lot of manufacturers and brand owners mentioned was, uh, scars are ready. They're ready to go. We're waiting on boxes. We're waiting on labels. I don't think anyone really expected that to be the, the story for the last 24 months. Um, and for at least also for the foreseeable future, unfortunately. But other than that, like, was there something that caught you off guard that you didn't expect to be a challenge, but it was? I mean, certainly some of the production lead times that would evolve as we were going. Um, so we are delayed a few times, which is just frustrating. Um, but most of those delays are not as a direct result of our partners it's generally two or three degrees away in the supply chain because all, all of our manufacturing partners have, and I, I hope I don't put them in a bad position by saying this, but, but they have, they have put us in the front of the line multiple times. They've really, they've given us all the extra love and affection any new company like mine could ever dream of to be able to get things rolled out and in market. Um, so all of our delays were shipping, um, or inbound, like components, hinges and clasps and those types of like really frustrating things, paint, um, the real unsexy part of the industry. <laughs> yeah. Like really, you know, like out there, there was no way to scramble to fix those problems. If there was, they would have been done. Um, the so I, weirdest one I've heard I, I lately is, is boxes, not boxes to put cigars in, boxes to ship them in. That's been one that oh, I've heard on occasion. Well, 
I mean, again, we're we're fortunate to have the partners we have who really plan and procure appropriately. Um, so I have not experienced shipping box issues, but I mean, shipping container logistics and and you know, like when all the barges were sitting out floating in the water with no place to land that that was a little that was just bonkers but um you know now now you once you've been shocked by something you really shouldn't be shocked again and so if you don't prepare for that possibility then you know you kind of can't blame yourself if you're if you're willing to repeat the same crazy uh mistake but we've been we've things have been going really really um smooth one thing i guess i didn't necessarily anticipate um uh getting out in market as soon as i did um i thought there would be a little more a little more desire for time to kind of get things um normalized and situated before there was a demand let's say for events and for you know shaking hands and doing um tours uh but man i've been on i've been on the road i mean since march it feels like mm -hmm. with uh you know a few weeks in between but it's been you know a lot of um i've sort of nicknamed it my gratitude tour but we're just doing these kind of Ferriotego socials and in, in, uh, in key markets, you know, and then visiting stores all day in the next market and then doing a Ferriotego social that night, just, just to be able to shake hands and say thank you and, and talk about our products. So that, that happened sooner than I had anticipated. So we kind of pivoted for that. Um, but hey, I mean, it's great to be out in market and spending time with people and, and, you know, hearing about what's working and hearing about what's not um, to be able to learn that kind of intelligence this early on in the game, I think is really important. You know, it's great. It's great to hear what's working and it's great to hear what you like to smoke and it's great to hear all the great things, but it's even better to sit down with someone who's been selling the cigars for six months and hear them say, this is going great this we could use some help on have you thought about this or that getting that kind of intel and and feedback this early um i think is is of great value absolutely so go back to your point about never being shocked about something twice so uh with that being said i guess like like my hoarding of batteries you're going to be hoarding uh, piano hinges for the foreseeable future i guess dude hinges it's so crazy <laughs> felt the felt bottoms i mean like you can't make oh, up wow. stuff. You just can't make it up. <laughs> Unbelievable, Michael. We have a few more things to talk about about Ferio Tego, but uh, we're uh, we hit the point of the show where we're going to take a little bit of a fun break. And uh, this is our uh, United Cigars presidential trivia segment. Don't worry, it's multiple choice. Uh, but <laughs> it is obviously brought to you by United Cigars, featuring La Gian Havana, distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Adipe and Byron lines. And now the new Alfonso release from uh, our friends there at United Cigars. So smoke one today and start living United. So uh, what a trade show booth they had, by the way. Yeah, wasn't it fantastic? Really incredible. I mean... I mean, I, I, I don't know what I, I, I want one. I just don't know where I would put something that fancy. Those ashtrays were just, 
I mean, there were, there were works of art. I mean, I don't even know yeah. if I'd want to use it, but I, I want one. I think back to the first time I saw them uh, as vendors and, um, you know, everything was thoughtful and it was unique and, you know, they were telling a story that no one else was telling, but now to see that booth the way it is, it's extraordinary mm -hmm. how much that company has grown and I see it everywhere. Yeah. So thanks for sponsoring United. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so Mike, we the uh, I'm I'm a little bit of a, a presidential. I'm a I'm a huge history nerd in general, as you know, and but I'm a big presidential history nerd. And there's these little things about presidents that I've always I've loved reading about over the years, and I've read I've I've read countless biographies and uh, and um, stories about different presidents and stuff. It's always fun to learn about you know the fact that they're people. You know they're 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 so often put on this pedestal, and half the country not, tries to knock them off the pedestal, and higher half the country tries to put them on a pedestal higher it's uh it's but uh they're they're just people and so it's yeah. it's interesting to kind of like reflect back on 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 the different you know idiosyncrasies of these 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 men so um so tonight's question is a little bit um is it, is geared toward you so it you know you uh you know you probably i mean there are a lot of there are a lot of people in this industry that really like to look good and dress it up and have an incredible fashion sense like you do but i think when most people think about fashion sense in the industry i mean i think you're the person that comes to the forefront of most minds right well, so kind. so the question for tonight is which president is considered to be the most fashion forward executive so here are your choices a john f kennedy b harry truman or C, Theodore Roosevelt? I mean, I would have gone, it has to be, wait, how did you phrase the question again? The most fashion forward? Yes, most fashion forward. Fashion was the most important to them. To them, because this is, I mean, Kennedy changed fashion for presidents. Mm -hmm. I mean, With, you know, he didn't wear a hat. He didn't wear, I mean, all kinds of things. That, right. But, so I'm, I would say. I'm so happy you know that. He was the first president not to wear a top hat as at his inauguration. Oh, man. Yeah. You pulled that out. That's fantastic. I think Kennedy is it. But I mean, I feel like you're going to tell me it's one of these old dudes who, for some reason, is actually the right answer. Well, John, John F. Kennedy was certainly in the discussion, right? Because he, he, cha he changed it for a lot of presidents. Um, but no, actually, you, you're, you're right. It is one of the others. It's actually Harry Truman. So, uh, really? yeah. So Harry Truman actually was a haberdasher in his previous, like before political life and everything. He once had a haberdashery in Kansas City. So before he was actually, uh, before he went into politics. So, uh, in fact, a lot of his business associates would actually become personal tailors for him when he got to the White House. Um, huh. Yeah, crazy, right? Because, and it's it's interesting. Like he uh, he, you know, he really liked the double-breasted suits. Like that was his thing. But like he he lived, you know, obviously past his presidency. Like and so, like going into the '60s and everything, he actually uh, brought about the. He, he kind of adopted that trend that Kennedy did. And so he had the slimmer kind of the single breasted style stuff and everything. And it was just, I gotta, now I got to go do a little research on this yeah. guy. Yeah. Well, you, here's the, here's the, here's the stat for you, right? Here's the stat for you. How, how many pairs of shoes do you think Harry Truman owned while he was in the white house? While in the white house. 
Mm-hmm. It's got to be some stupid number. I have no idea. Two dozen. So in just in just Oxford style, just Oxford style, he had ninety six pair. I mean, what was this guy doing in Oxford's? I I, I don't know, but apparently, I mean, apparently, apparently changing him out <laughs> quite a bit. What, what was his What was his term? What years? So he took over for he took over for Roosevelt, and then he yeah. won he won re-election. He beat he beat Dewey, um, and um, and so he served from the from mid nineteen forties to early fifties before. Uh, yeah, but that, I mean nineteen forties fifties. That's not exactly the the pillar of time where gents are going out and getting their steps in. It's true. I mean, what was this? What was this guy doing with these Oxfords? <laughs> I don't know. He'd like wear them once and get like tired of it. But and he was Justin Timberlake in underwear. <laughs> he had one and done. That's it. Well, and so it was. But Oxfords were his thing. Like he had other pairs of shoes too. Like he had like like half a dozen pairs of boots. Uh, but uh, he only had. But apparently hated loafers because he just had one pair of those. But Oxfords were his thing. So, how many uh, pairs of Oxfords do you have? Two. Yeah, I think I had to think about that. I had to think about that. I might have two. I might have two. I think I have two. Yeah. It's all you need. Yeah. I think I have two pairs of loafers too. So I think then again, the scale of my closet versus his closet (laughs) also very different. You 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 focus more on the 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 clothes though. It's I want to know what I want to know what he did with him when he got out of the White House. Right. Yeah. That I don't have. Like, imagine when you're moving and you're packing everything up, you know, and you're like, should I keep it? Should I toss it? Should I keep it? Should I toss it? Like, what was that process like for 96 <laughs> pairs of Oxfords? 96 pairs. Like, uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. And they're yeah, all this, like this, this one's brown, but this one's browner. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Because, is that, do I have one of those? Yeah, because it's, it's not like, I mean, it's not like some of the fashion today, right? Where like, I mean, there's these wild and crazy colors and stuff like that. It literally was, well, I have tan and I have brown and then there's dark right. brown and then there's a little bit darker, like exactly like 96 pair. Like, how do you? Right. Of exactly the same model. Right. Sure. Probably. Probably. Oh, well. yeah. Good one. Good trivia. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I'm the, still uh, sticking with Kennedy, but that's all right. So the last fun fact about the, the other choice was Theodore Roosevelt. Did you know that Brooks Brothers actually designed his military uniform when he went to the way to the Spanish-American War? I knew that Brooks Brothers designed military uniforms. I didn't know specifically his. Yeah. So the, the Rough Riders were uh, uniform is designed by the Brook, by Brooks Brothers. Yeah. So I was like, wow. I was like, that's cool. How about that? Yeah. Iconic Brooks Brothers. So that was our... Uh, presidential trivia uh, for the night. Thanks for uh, participating in that, Michael. So it was brought to you by United Cigars featuring La Giana Havana and distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabe, Byron, and Alfonso Lines. Smoke once day and start living united. You're counting your shoes in your head, aren't you? <laughs> I was just thinking if I had a third pair of Oxford, but I don't. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, what is your go-to pair for shoes? Like, like... I'm a, um, what really depends. I, what I used to, um, I would alternate between, uh, an Oxford and a loafer, Oxford and a loafer, Oxford and a loafer Mm -hmm. every day. Um, but that's when I actually had to, you know, wear clothing to go to work and what worked (laughs) in the city. Um, so now, um, you know, I'm much more, 
I'm actually, interestingly, another presidential trivia fact. Um, I started wearing Vans year, maybe 10 years ago, 12 years ago, um, because JFK wore Vans. That was his sneaker of choice. And I was like, you know, that's like just casual enough, but it can be formal. You can wear it with a jacket. You can wear If Kennedy can rock Vans, I'm going to rock Vans. A lot of people uh, didn't realize that, yeah. So I'm a, I'm a Vans guy, throw on some espadrilles. I actually love Crocs. I'm not afraid to say it. I love Crocs. <laughs> I, Just to be clear, okay. I love Crocs. And I don't care. I'm very proud of that fact. Love them. Love them. What do you like about them? Everything about them. Everything. I love everything about them. You can rock them in comfort mode with the strap in the front, or you can throw them in sport mode and hug your heel, and then you can actually take off. They're light. They're airy. You can get them wet. You can wear them in the water. I love them. Love them. Crocs. The best. Man, if I had if I had, had 50 guesses, I would never have gotten that. That's love them. <laughs> I um I I need to I need to get another pair. I haven't owned a pair in a while. But like you said, I really I really like the fact that you can like wear them in the water and stuff. And I'm not a big water guy. It's, you know, suggestion from earlier about the recycling of water and stuff, but my, my kids and my wife do, they love, they love pools. They love the beach. I'm not a beach guy. Just, just not. Um, and so I do need to get another pair of Crocs for that, but for that, for the, tra- actually, the many tricks you know, to water. I'm not a big we'll beach guy either, but that's especially because I hate sand. Yeah. I hate walking in sand. Exactly. hundred percent. Sand, but Crocs and sand are actually not bad because they kind of just like filter through the holes and fall out the back. So Crocs in the sand are actually a pretty efficient beach shoe. Okay. All right. Now I got to go get one. All right, here we go. (laughs) Where's wild investment here. So we're learning, we're learning all sorts of things here uh, about presidents and, uh, and, uh, and Michael's shoes of choice here. The vans I've seen you I've seen you in pictures and rocking the vans though too. You've been rocking and then like you're like tonight you're you've been rocking the cardigan a lot more lately too. Not necessarily the blazer as much. Yeah. So. So. You know I'm 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 a big like I don't believe so much in um in costumes. I believe in you know authenticity. So I'm wearing sure. what what makes sense for the moment. You know, sitting in my dining room in my house with a blazer on and a little too Thurston Howell. Fair enough. If we ever, if we ever do one of these interviews that um, in a, in a, in a more cooler time of year for me, I'll, I'll, I can definitely rock. I can definitely rock a cardigan. I like a good cardigan. You did one. Remember? Yeah. Didn't you rock a jacket once? And I, I did. Yeah. It was, it was our first interview. Yeah. It was our first interview. Uh, And again, point, point being, that interview was done in March. So <laughs> not, let's get that one not, on the calendar. Not, 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 on, not on summer. So that was the, that was the reason for that too. Noted. Um, but <laughs> but uh, but getting back to the to the to the year that you guys have had at Ferriotego, um, you know, you mentioned the accolades that the uh, the flagship brand Ferriotego had received at Year's End and everything. That putting that project together because that was something different uh, altogether than some bringing back some of these uh, brands like timeless metropolitan and host, et cetera, and everything um, that, I mean, that had to be fun. I mean, that, I mean, that's what I've always dreamed about doing is, I mean, creating a cigar. I mean, that, I mean, 
like you said, you've done everything else in the business. I mean, how much fun was that? It's all fun, but you know, I was so lucky. I mean, my first, the first blend I brought to market that I got to like author and take credit for was, was the prestige 2011, Mm -hmm. 2012. Um, What made this different was being able to get credit for the work in a way that I didn't before. Um, which is not a criticism at all. That was the job. Yeah. But being able to have the name Ferry Otego with this new blend, all you know, new, new, new. Um, it was um, it was very fun, but it was also a bit um, well stressful. You know, I mean, you you're trying to create your best work. Um, and people are watching you do it. And it's also at a time when things aren't going smoothly for all kinds of people. And, uh, you know, it's, it's awfully tough to work when there's, when there's spotlight shining on you, but man, it was a lot of fun. It was fun. Um, it was fun kind of sticking to the conviction of the idea too. um, dating them, having the travel humidors, you know, that was something I really believed in. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I got some criticism for it, but you know, that criticism is all right. You know, if it's not for you, it's not for you. That's perfectly fine. Right. But I'm not going to discount the idea before I've executed it. We've got to execute it and test and learn If For some reason, everyone received it and was like, this is a garbage blend and why is it in a humidor? I think I would probably have rethought my plan. But, um, you know, I mean, we spoke about it once. I was receiving criticism about the value before the cigars were on the market. You know, that nothing I can do about that other yeah. than hope that when it delivers, it over delivers. And I'll tell you, um, the fun of all this has been whether it's remastering the legacies or working on Ferio or even some of the limiteds um, is really about finding ways to over deliver on value, to exceed people's expectations and to punch over our weight on every single one of our blends. And I believe we've done that. I think Metropolitan offers some of the most tremendous value in the premium cigar industry today. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Timeless is such a unique portfolio of just radically complex blends. I think you would be hard pressed to smoke any of the Timeless blends and say, this is just like X, Y, or Z. Um, and then obviously with the, with the Ferio flagship, uh, the Elegancia and Generoso, it's a, especially now that we have launched the 22 now we're 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 really demonstrating a commitment to the idea of these annual limited releases produced annually produced once we hope they last the year but we hope that they are exhausted by the end of the year to make room for the next release mm-hmm. um, you know that's a concept that has not been tested or executed in our industry and so i hope it's one that will allow me to stand out as as uh, as sort of a unique uh, holder of that of that concept because it's certainly one I I plan on being 
uh, unwavering with. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things to unpack there. We'll take that most recent one because you're you're absolutely right, Michael. And it, it really, it, it, when we talked, we actually talked about it at the trade show this year about this plan, and I hadn't really realized the execution of it, um, that this was all intended. Because you're right. I, I I mean, I up until a few months ago, I had still seen some 2021s on the shelf, and you know, had my own thoughts about it in particular. But but that's the way it was designed. Um, I don't ever want there to be a time where Ferio Tego, Elegancia, and Generoso are not on the shelf. Right. Just like a just like a winemaker wouldn't want their wines to not be in retail, but they only make them once, and right. so you try and forecast vintage. enough to make enough to last the year, and then as the next vintage comes in, that gets placed behind the last one, and once the twenty ones are sold out, the twenty twos can start. Or mm -hmm. if a retailer really wants to have fun, then they can display them side by side. And some people have commented, well, what's the difference? One's a year earlier and, and is an expression of the idea of that blend in that moment. The idea is not to depart radically at all. It's to keep it the same. But we are blending to the experience each year as opposed to holding ourselves accountable to replicate the experience with each production throughout the year. To me, that's the, that's the distinction. Right. Um, but, you know, Elegancia 22s taste like Elegancia. I mean, it's, it's unquestionably Elegancia when you light it up. Same with Generoso. Maybe if you smoke them side by side, you might, dis might discover some real unique, subtle difference. Um, but the intention behind it is we make them once we bring them to market once and then we bring the next one out the next year. Yeah. No, I think it is a unique concept because like you said, there are some limited editions that are so small that they get sold out in five minutes. And you know, that's great for the people who want to do that. Right. And, um, but that really limits the, the spectrum of people who can enjoy them. And then you have the people who have limited editions that aren't really limited editions. I mean, I think quite a Monterey Excalibur still been, says limited edition very, box. We've been very clear that we've never called Ferriotego, Elegancio, or Generoso a limited edition. We've always referred to it as an annual limited release. Mm -hmm. So again, an important distinction too. So for, for any people who are confused about that. Yeah. Um, I think I think it's I, I mean I think it's brilliant in a lot of ways. Let's talk about this criticism for two seconds here because have you ever experienced that before for any other cigar at any other time, either whether it was Davidoff or whether it was Nat Sherman or whether it was Ferro Taker for the, something else? People were critical of something before it even had been come to fruition. Am I, I naive? If I am naive, okay, it has. Okay. I have experienced it, but not to the degree to which I did this time. Um, but even when we announced Timeless in 2012, the immediate reaction at six to $8 when that was released is that it was too expensive for a Nat Sherman. Even though no one had smoked it yet, there was just a built-in bias that at the time, because of discounting or whatever, that, that Nat Sherman commanded a certain price and that price had a ceiling and there was no going over it. Um, and I have no problem with that, with that bias because we can all experience that bias. If, if for some reason, you know, you went to go buy another case of Topo Chico and it was 
four times the price because the caps were red, you might say, <laughs> you know, uh, I don't think it's worth it, right? I mean, we have built-in information and then we can judge accordingly. So that criticism didn't bother me as much. What honestly, what really bothered me about this one was as a completely new brand, there was an automatic expectation that it was not worth it, which I could only take personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but that also meant I really had to over-deliver because if there, if there is that criticism, then this thing needs to be as great as I believe it's going to be. And thank God they were. I, I certainly enjoyed Because I'll the- tell you what, I don't hear a soul criticized today that Ferry Otego is too expensive. In fact, the only criticism I get today is retailers and people wishing it was more expensive and wishing it was, you know, fancier. But that's not that's not me either. You know, I mean, this was really meant to be a very authentic expression of of what I could do and and deliver value. And so even though by no means do I think $22 is inexpensive. $22 is a is quite an investment for handmade premium cigar. When you look at it in the context of the competitive landscape of handmade premium cigars in 2022, and then you look at the way it burns, the way it smokes, um, its merit just as a blend, then you put it in that humidor and you create that total package, we are punching way over our weight with the 2022. So, so let's talk about that, Michael, because like you said, you received this criticism. This is a year ago. It's 365 days ago. People are talking to you about how it's too expensive, even before they've had a chance to smoke it. And then your remarks just a few seconds ago about 2022. I don't, I don't think, I don't think bitterness is ever in your repertoire, but is there, I mean, isn't there a little bit of frustration that you were the pioneer for this? Because I mean, a lot of cigars that are coming out now are in that 18 plus, 20 plus market. And now it's almost commonplace. And yet you kind of, you kind of pioneered it in a way. Well, I don't, listen, I don't think it's fair to say that any company in 2022 has pioneered much of anything. I mean, the the reality is we have all been inspired by the people who have come before us. Um, It's true. So, I, there's very little I can claim. I'm happy to claim the blends. I'm happy to claim the names. I'm happy to claim, um, you know, the annual limited release consistency of it all. I think that's, but, you know, I didn't invent $18. I didn't invent 22. I didn't invent the travel humidor. um, And I certainly wouldn't claim I did. In fact, you know, I think the problem is in 2022, people have, have lost shockingly with the advent of technology like Google, um, it's amazing how many people actually think that they have invented all these incredible ideas like, uh, you know, hand rolling tobacco and making a premium cigar or putting a band on it or doing all these, (laughs) you know, kind of basic things that at least in my 23, whatever years of being around, I've seen a lot of people do this before, but it's, it's pretty amazing. The, uh, the devout evangelism of, of, uh, of innovation that seems to occur sometimes. Yeah. I, I have no bitterness because I have, 
bro, I have, how could I be bitter? I'm making a living in the premium cigar industry. I have nothing but gratitude, you know? Yeah. I mean, nothing but gratitude. I mean, to be clear, those are words, my words, not yours. Or, and then there wasn't anything that you indicated. I, it, it just seemed to me like, cause I, I mean, I was, I mean, I'm not tone deaf. I was well aware of some of the criticisms from last year and then this year rolls around and then, and yeah, you didn't invent the $20 cigar, $21, $22 cigar. You know, there's certainly been cigars in that price range long before Ferio Tego ever came around, but it just seemed that those, especially hearing now how they were criticisms before they even had the chance to try the cigar. I feel like that was unwarranted. And then now it seemed like there was just a, a, a cascade of cigars in that price range this past year with some of the new yes. releases. But, but if you really want to, talk about where um where we have pioneered something we're pioneering a 22 dollars cigar that is probably worth 40 i mean okay. we're we're creating the value we're not we're not adding price for the sake of adding price we're we are as authentic and 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 transparent as we can possibly be so uh, you know i didn't think that we would pioneer perhaps the the entry into the the higher category but that's where this product netted out and it's worth every penny that's awesome is there um i know we've asked this question of you in the past michael and, I, and I've, I've heard different answers on it but i mean is there is there any designs or anything in the works or is it uh to to take the ferriotego name and perhaps branch off some other offshoots from this annual limited release or is this be going to be its dedicated i guess footprint uh i'd say nothing's off the table we're we're continuing to play around with all kinds of things my my philosophy has always been to to keep creating in the factories um and then at some point you hit a moment where either the product the blend speaks to you in a way that says we have to do something with this or um, there comes a moment where you recognize a need and in that moment you can turn to your arsenal of blends that you've been developing and say this is just the thing we need um, but you know i am not naive to think that these 800 retailers are just can't wait to to fill more of their shelves with Ferriotego blends, especially when you look at the portfolio today that is available is nine blends with 42 SKUs across Metropolitan and Timeless. And then on top of that, the two Ferriotego Elegancia and Generoso, not to mention now the Timeless 10 year anniversary, that is a, a pretty significant portfolio of, of premium cigars. And I don't expect people to carry everything but that's a lot of stuff that people have added to their humidors mm -hmm. in the last 10 months. Um, so just as we were at Nat Sherman, we are always very thoughtful and mindful of our partners and what can they handle and what are they really in need of. Um, and, you know, some people are, are take a pedal to the metal approach and just keep doing new, 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 new. I am really proud of the portfolio that we have and the legacy that we've preserved and the consistency that we deliver 
production after production after production. And so that's where I am squarely focused so that when people get done buying the meme cigars and the random limited whatevers, um, they have core that they can fall back on. Meme cigars. <laughs> I, I did pioneer that one too. I'll I was going to say, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give you all the credit, but I'm taking that one. That's good. The meme cigars. It's fantastic. Um, so you've something else tonight, Michael, you've actually uh, amazingly executed all of my transitions and segues into different topics uh, without, without knowing, without knowing the agenda. So this is really impressive for our audience who's listening because I haven't had to do anything in terms of transition. Michael's just taking this for me and he has, and he has, he has no show notes. In front I like of to so, drive. Yeah, it's good. So <laughs> you mentioned earlier about how, how at the time when you launched timeless, how, um, at the time for what Nat Sherman was, that was a, that was a really transcendent move for that company. Uh, and here we are um, 10 years later, and you guys are launching a 10 year anniversary celebration for that particular cigar. What went into this project as opposed to say, like the timeless Sterling that I'm smoking and, and the other, and the other parts of the timeless family. The, the four timeless blends um, are each very, very unique. There's not a single through line between the four of them, um, other than the fact that they were each created in a moment in time to fill, to play a very specific role. Um, Sterling, for example, that was the trade show 2013, 2014. Everything being released was 60 ring gauge, Lajero heavy, Nicaraguan Puros. Mm-hmm. I felt there was a there was an actual abandonment of the experience that was the hallmark of the American luxury cigar, which is what you're smoking: full-bodied, creamy, buttery. Um, that is what made the luxury market of handmade premium cigars, in my opinion. And I felt like everyone was chasing big-bodied, big ring gauge bombs. And selfishly, I was, I was, uh, I was worried that the cigars that I used to like to smoke were going to be gone. So I tried to make something that embraced that, that, um, that style. Same with Supreme, same, you know, Panamericana, I can go on and on with all the unique stories. So how do you honor 10 years of such unique blends with no through line and, and, uh, and so it was really just, in this case, finding a blend um, through this sort of evolution of, of um, varying blends. And this is actually a, a, almost a 10-year evolution of blends, what is ultimately now the, the 10th anniversary, because it came out of a line of evolution from the original prestige that we were just constantly playing and tweaking and playing and tweaking and and um, so even though you, it tastes nothing like a prestige, it was actually born of that first blend as part of that hierarchy. Okay. Uh, but it's, it's a Dominican wrapper made by Casada. Casada was the first manufacturing partner um, that we used for Timeless. And uh, Nicaraguan Dominican filler. Uh, and it's a... It's just delicious. It's it's beefy. It's um, it's decadent. It's savory. 
it still has, you know, what I, what I think may be a bit of a signature at this point uh, for me, which is that kind of creamy. I really always look for some kind of a creamy mouthfeel, even in the fullest, richest expressions. I just, I tend to go in that direction, whether I mean it or not. So it's got that kind of fudgy creaminess, um, but it's great. It's really, really great. 2,500 boxes. Um, when they're gone, they're gone. Hopefully, excuse me, hopefully shipping uh, second or third week of August. That's terrific. I, I feel like, you know, look, we were talking a lot about logistics earlier and everything and a lot of the challenges that the, a lot of people seem had gotten seemed to get ahead of it in some cases, you know, no criticism of any company who wasn't, but, you know, like, for example, like, I mean, you hear of this, this limited edition cigar that's, you know, pretty highly anticipated. And you're getting it on the shelves, you know, relatively quickly for retailers, you know, again, knocking on wood, making sure nothing else happens. But I mean, that's, I mean, that, that took a you lot of being planning. able to make it for August. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. And that's quick. delayed. That's delayed. I mean, we were, we were hoping everything got, got delayed this year, about two months. Um, last year we got pushed more, but uh, you know, we wanted, originally we wanted Ferio 22s to drop in March and um, the 10th to drop in July at the show. Um, instead, the 22s launched, I think shipped in July, um, maybe end of June. Uh, and then, you know, we showed this in July. So that was like, you know, that was a lot back to back, you know, in hindsight that some things may have gotten lost a little bit, um, but that's our work to go do and try and clarify it and make sure everyone knows what's coming. I'm actually flying to Florida tomorrow. We're going to do a two virtual retailer summits. Davidoff has this great, um, this great program to kind of go live with retailers. So I'm going to zip down, meet with them tomorrow. And then Tuesday be in their studio and do these two summits to basically run people through uh, what's coming for the rest of the year. Uh, just in case we miss something at the show. Um, so even though, yes, we're, we're, we still have the, the, the benefit of the year 2022 to enjoy the things that we're releasing in 2022, um, we would have liked to have had them a little sooner, but you know, we are not willing to rush. I mean, that is something I, I believed in and learned at Nat Sherman. It's something that I hold deep, um, in my priorities as Ferio Tego. The, the, the product must be ready. And when you push something, it is profoundly evident in the way it performs and the way it tastes. And it's just not worth it. Whatever you win in sales, you lose in, in confidence. Mm -hmm. And I would much rather delay sales and preserve confidence. Oh, absolutely. Is it, I wanted to get your thought on this because I have a I certainly have an opinion on it it feels like to me that 2022 has gone up to this point a lot quicker than 2121 did and I mean it, do you feel that same or do you feel the opposite or do you feel like they've moved at the same kind of pace oh, every year every year has gotten faster I mean uh, but this year for me, I have always found that when I'm in creative production release mode, 
um, time flies because the moment I start thinking about a project, I'm automatically thinking about its launch date. And so that tends to really blur the lines of where we are today and what we're talking about from a production standpoint, delivery standpoint, and shipment standpoint. So the the fact that we are actually in August now is a is a complete mind blow. That's mm-hmm. a tough one for me to swallow. It's it, it's crazy. Uh, I mean, August is August is here. We're in our eighth month. I mean, it it just feels like this year has flown by. Um, to, yeah, to to think that we are doing Christmas shopping in two and a half three months, right, is nauseating. Right. And it's August, so you know that means like that. You know that's the and here in a couple of weeks, Starbucks is going to be dropping their little pumpkin spice. I was just going to say so. Halloween is like around the corner. <laughs> um, so what's the MSRP on the uh, the tenth anniversary for Thomas? Eighteen fifty a cigar, one eighty five per box of ten. That I was I, I was noticing that. Um, this is this might be just me completely absent-minded, um, Michael, and, and forgive me if if I am, but when I purchased this box of Sterling Robusto and ten cigars, I, I like I thought <laughs> I was getting a deal, but I thought I was getting a super deal when I saw the price. I was like, oh, cool, man! I'm gonna snag I'm gonna snag a box of Sterling. I I haven't had the Robustos in a while. I was like, oh, that's a great buy. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's ten, still a great buy, but it the ten count is that. Has it always been that way, or is that a Ferriotego decision? For Sterling? Yeah. For Sterling, uh, Robusto, at the time, Robusto, Short, Robusto, and Churchill were tens. Mareva, okay. Dahlias, um, Perlas, and Corona Gordas were all 25s. We, okay. made, we made them all tens under Ferio, and then we also redu- reduced the single price on Sterling. Okay. So the, the box price obviously is less because it's 10 than it wasn't 25, but all of Sterling prices actually came down. Um, I did know that versus, yeah. versus what they were previously. Yeah. I remember the Corona Gordas in the, in the orange box and, and I just, yeah. I didn't, I didn't remember them being 10 count. Okay. So, okay. I'm not going, I'm not the crazy. The original sizes, which were all 46 and thinner, were all in slide tops of 25 when they were released. Mm-hmm. When we did the rebrand in 2018, we kept the box count, but adopted the look and feel. So the right. um, Dahlia, Corona Gorda, et cetera, in 2018, 2019 was a hinged box of 25 with the same look and feel of rebrand, but it had 25, not 10. I've, I've really enjoyed doing this. This is uh, like... I said, I, you know, I grabbed this box and like the first time I had the prestige under the Ferio Tego name and everything. And, and I, I like, I like this experiment that I'm going through. I'm just grabbing each of these like different Vitolas and different blends and, and kind of making my way through them and, and just kind of experiencing them for the first time, but not the first time it's, yeah. it's been a lot of fun. I love that. I think that's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's I'm been doing a lot of the fun. same thing, man. I mean, you know, as much yeah. as they're mine, um, I mean, I had a very emotional moment setting up the, the booth because here I was doing something that I'd done countless times before at the PCA. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, now we're in this 
kind of small footprint with one fixture. Um, so, you know, a bit, a bit, um, uh, I don't know, it was a bit of a reality check. You know, this is clearly, we're starting over. You know, I, I can remember doing it 10 years ago when we had a little booth. And so here we are again with a small booth, small fixtures, but you, you do it the same way. You open up every box, you take the cigar out of cellophane, you put it back in, you line up those bands, you make it look sharp. And, um, and when I was doing it this year, uh, I put the box in and when I did, because of the way the light was on the glass, the Ferriotego logo was like reflecting on the glass when I put the box in oh, and cool. it was really amazing. Cause Surreal. you know, I've, I've put timeless out for 10 years and yet here was my logo yeah. kind of over it, you know, um, that was amazing, man. You know, it was doing it for the first time again. It was pretty wild. So I've been looking forward for a week. I've been looking forward to asking you this question. Because I had Kevin Kaithen of Protocol Cigars on last week. And Great, he, told, he told the story about how you were in their booth. Juan wasn't there. Juan comes back from wherever he was. And he's like, holy shit, Michael Herklotz is in my booth. And he said, wait, stop right there. What did you just say? Your booth. Yeah. And it was this, this, this big reflective moment for everybody. And, and Kevin told that story to me. And I was like, I was like, that that's that's awesome and it got me again but it got the wheels turning for me i was like you get to say the same thing now yeah yes it's the second year for you but it's your booth and you certainly took ownership and you did a great job as we've recanted dozens of times now in your time at davidoff and nat sherman but this is it's your booth yeah it's wild i mean not just mine obviously mine and brendan of course of course equal partners but yeah sure the the um just like kevin and juan same same thing like yes exactly. I, yeah and i'm not trying to take away from brandon excuse no, me no so. no not at all not at all so. but but the um it's it's a different experience you know i'm sure my experience with it is different than his experience with it i think we're both equally proud um but you know in the context of what a booth means having spent as many years as I did shilling in a booth, it was awfully cool to have it, to right. have it be ours. It was awesome. Yeah. I thought that was a really cool moment. Um, just that he, how he recanted it. And I was like, wow. It was a great moment. I mean, that was a great moment in their booth. It really, it was a, I think it was an important light bulb for them too. Absolutely. I think, I think it really was because it really resonated, even though you weren't talking directly to him, it really resonated with Kevin. Like it was, it was very clear because the way he retold the story was, was very, you know, it, it, I mean, it was very captivating even for me. So, um, awesome. Well, Michael, just have a few more questions uh, for the night here. Uh, so do again, we can't thank you enough for, uh, for all your time and this, um, and we, like we said, we are going to make this a little bit of a tradition of post uh, post PCA trade show. So, thank you so much for uh, making some time after a very very busy time for you. It's all it's all well. It's been busy, like you said. You've been on the road since March, pretty much. So, yeah. Thank you so much for for making some time in your schedule and everything. But um, yeah, man. 
got a couple of fun segments here for you. Um, and uh, the first one, and I think um, I'm really anxious to hear your answer to this one, just because this is a new segment. You haven't heard this one before. Um, and it's brought to you by Asylum Cigars. Refuge is more than just a physical place. It can be a state of mind. Some of life's greatest reflection can be found in our own personal asylum. Moments like these were made for Asylum Cigars. So light up an asylum and choose your refuge. So Michael, this segment is particularly about this industry that we've chosen to be a part of, right? And, and, and for a lot of us, and for, let's say a majority of the time, cigars are very communal, right? They're the great equalizer we've talked about. They're enjoyed with, in great company. Sometimes that's two people. Sometimes that's a cigar show. Sometimes that's an entire event with you hosting like the great smoke or something. So, I mean, there's a lot of scale to this and it's a great community that we're, that we're privileged to be a part of. But every so often we get to have that moment. And I remember you, this segment was kind of born about, was kind of born and spawned from your experience with James Gandolfini. So you're not allowed to tell that story again. They can go back to a previous episode to listen to that great story. But this is about being alone. The cigar, the moment, and this could be a moment of reflection. It could be about a song that you were listening to, maybe a glass of wine you were drinking. But if you can recount, I'm not saying pick your favorite or pick your top, but if you can recount a moment where it was just you, the cigar, and the moment, what was the moment about? And if you can remember, what was the cigar? Uh, man, there's, there's so many of them. Mm -hmm. There's so many of them. I mean, I'll tell you one that stands out immediately. Um, when I was working on Sterling, I was up at, uh, Camp David where I stay in Dominican Republic and we had been working all day and smoking all day. And it was just like a bitch of a day. And, um, and I had, a, a bag with some samples of the of the Dahlia, which is the format that I blended that in. And uh, I might add some Coronas too, the the Mareva. But I remember it was like 11. I was tired. I didn't want to go to bed yet. I probably should have, but I didn't. Um, I can't remember if Bill Sherman was up there at the, on, the, on that trip with me or not, or it might have just been me. I think it was just me. So anyway, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have one more rum of a Barcelona Imperial, and I'm gonna smoke one of these Lonsdales. And that cigar just hit right. And I remember thinking how delicious it was, and then thinking like, wait, I've been tasting all day. I just had a huge meal. You know, I really should just be in bed, and yet this cigar is firing on all cylinders in a in a blend style that is really not typical of that moment in the day. Um, and I just remember being like so, um, just so thrilled, like proud of the work so far. You know, like that was like blend number three. Um, actually being up there like I remember going up as as a young guy 22 23 I would go to Dominican on vacation I'd sit up at Camp David and I remember just thinking like what can I do to get here more like how can I figure out how to be here more and then here it was whatever probably 10 years later 
and it's my job to be up there and to be blending these cigars. And that was a really um, pretty amazing, that was a pretty amazing moment because it was definitely that kind of feeling of arrival, adulthood, um, a bit of, of legitimacy that, you know, I, I wasn't just a 24 year old kid coming on vacation anymore. Now I was a 34 year old kid making, making cigars for a living. Um, I had kind of forgotten about that moment, but that Sterling just made me think of it. And that really, it stood out a lot. We've kind of unknowingly done this over the last few interviews, Michael, where we've kind of looked reflectively back at dec like the decade mark, like 10 years ago, 10 yeah. years ago, 10 years ago. And, you know, there's a lot in betweens, obviously, obviously, <laughs> but it's, at the same time, we were talking a second about, uh, ago about how time seems to speed up every single year. And 10 years ago, sure, certainly a long time, but man, it seems so far away, but yet it seems so connected to the moment of today. Isn't that just crazy? Yeah, but you know, I also think um, we have the ability to preserve memories so much better now that they don't feel that far away. Right. I mean, I can go every, every morning I wake up and I've got memories in my Facebook uh, feed. True. You know, yeah. every, if I, if I can't remember something or I think I remember something within, within five minutes, I've got a photo of the memory, whether I'm on Dropbox, on the cloud, on my Instagram feed, you know, like we used to have to just rely on our ability to recall. Mm-hmm. But now we can literally go back and watch a video of the of the moment of the moment itself. Yeah, that that's crazy. I, I mean, I you know I don't know if it's good or bad. I I don't know if like being able to preserve that much. Um, I don't know what that's going to mean for future generations. Like you know, I've got memories and I've got a few photo albums. Um, I don't have an entire archive of my childhood. You know, I wonder what that's going to be like. Well, but I mean, to segue, not to get too far off the subject, but but our children will have that. I mean, that's what we do well, now. We have to make right? sure we, that they have logins and we have yeah. to make sure that we preserve it. And we have yeah. to make sure that it's like in some way that they can actually like I, that occurred to me the other day. I've got, I don't know, almost a terabyte of photos and videos sitting on Dropbox that if I drop dead, Dropbox is gone. Like, how are they going to get in it and see it? And, you know, 20 years from now, what are they going to view it on? It's going to be like VHS. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, can you imagine the cloud is going to be like VHS? How are they going to Wonder. view? How are they going to view an MP3 from when they were six months old, 20 years from now? Yeah, true. No idea. Something else you said there a moment ago kind of got me thinking too. Uh, about recall your your recall's always been pretty pretty incredible though i mean is that was that has it always been like that for as long as you can remember is it something you practiced at i don't recall <laughs> um you're being punny <laughs> you dropping a pun are you, is that your dad joke for the night <laughs> i'll tell you my my memory is in is um, is kind of wild i can remember f being three I can remember, you know, phone numbers from first grade. 
like all kinds of early stuff. My sister, my, my friend, Ryan, these guys like always break my stones because of the stuff I remember. That's so inconsequential from like 1986. Sure. But I met four people yesterday. I couldn't tell you who they, who, who, what their names were. Like it's, I almost feel like my filing drawers are full and rather than making room, I just throw it away. It's terrible. So I have to work way harder at remembering the stuff that I'm learning more recently because the old stuff is still stuck in there. Yeah. I, I feel the same way sometimes. Um, I've been blessed with a really good memory. My father had one too. Um, his recall was incredible, but just, I mean, the most crazy things, um, you know, everything from baseball stats to movie stars. He never had, he never got into music either. So he was never a musical. He never had that musical recall, but it was. Almost That's what my recall else. I think comes from. I mean, you, you can put on a song that I played in fifth grade and I'll remember the whole part or, there you, go. you know, I can hear a choral arrangement and remember the tenor one part for all of it in a, in some, in a language could be in Latin or whatever. And, and it'll all, come back to me in a second. So, so going, so going back to that moment in Cam David, um, just for a couple more seconds here, Michael, the, um, have you, have you ever had, have you had moments like that since with cigars where like, like it shouldn't, the cigar shouldn't be as good as as it is, or it shouldn't resonate with your palate as well as it is because you like the example you gave, like you've been smoking all day, you've been doing stuff. It happens all the time. Like I was, Actually, during COVID, I was driving back from the city. I, I don't think we had closed. We hadn't closed the townhouse yet because I had I had taken a cigar out of my office. And it was just a sample I was playing with. Actually, funny enough, that's actually funny enough. It was, um, it became the um, Generoso. Uh, <laughs> it's what, that's really funny. But I remember... I just grabbed it. I was like, let me just fire this up in the car on my way home. And I lit it up and I was like, what the hell is, this is not what it was when I smoked it the first time. Cause I remembered it. And so I just grabbed it just to burn something. And it was like, whoa, I remember pulling in my driveway and I still had like two inches, three inches left. And I just sat in my car and finished it listening to the radio. It was like, I did not want to put that down. It was so good. Um, and then, you know, I had, uh, what was I just, it was on one of these trips and I was with a retailer and we lit up a Ferio um, that I didn't even have any 21s left. Like I don't have any. And we walked in and, and the retailer gave me one of his. And I was like, oh, you really don't need to do that. Like you've already, you know, spent the money on this and he's like no no, i really want to smoke this with you and i thought what a what a cool thing like i i not that i'm comparing myself to any of these people but i i remember as a retailer what it felt like to sit down with avo or sit down with rocky or sit down with whoever and smoke a cigar with the person i mean Mm -hmm. one of the first guys that really treated me um as a grown-up was Dr. Martinez from Hoya de Nicaragua. And I remember he, he took me out for a drink. I was 22, 23, and wanted me to taste Antonio for the first time. Oh my gosh. Uh, 
You know, wow. so when he, when when the retailer said, "No, it's, I want you to, I want to smoke this with you," it was really like that's that's pretty that's pretty cool. Awesome, another great memory. Dr. Martinez, you having a drink? You remember what you drank, <laughs> or is that too much of a tap into the memory? I'm almost positive it was rum, but I can't remember what. But I'm sure I'm certain it was rum. But it was in New York. I don't know what we would have been drinking. Oh, that was right around the time Monte Cristo rum launched, actually. So it could have been a Monte Cristo rum. Okay. Wow. Cool. But yeah, Antonio's, I don't even know if they had been, they might have just been released, but they were brand, brand new. That's when the, that's when uh, Antonio's were like, this is the strongest cigar on the market and everything. 2002. Yeah. Unbelievable. Nice. Well, that was our that was our uh, Asylum Cigars uh, featured segment. Refuge is more than just a physical place. It can be a state of mind. Some of life's greatest reflections can be found in our own personal asylum. Moments like these were made for Asylum Cigars. So grab an asylum and choose your refuge. So, Michael, we just uh, got one last question to close out tonight. I think, again, just um, especially with you flying out tomorrow morning, Sunday's always family day for you to take some time away from it from it all i i really really appreciate it so thank you so family, much family bro so this is our dunbarton tobacco and trust curveball segments fastballs or curveballs it doesn't matter since the company's inception steve sock has been knocking them out of the park seven consecutive years in the consensus top three congratulations to our good friend mr steve Saka. so the one uh, and only this is a two-parter, uh, Michael. So we were talking a lot about, we talked a lot about the Ferio Tego and, and the vintages, right? The 2021, now the 2022 is out. Um, so it also got me thinking about the, the first time you were in this room and we sat for a first time together on this show. We were drinking wine that night and I was drinking a blend, you were drinking a blend. And um, so it got me thinking about that. So if, and, you know, if you were to ever to launch a wine, would you develop a blend or would you go for more like a straight Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, et cetera? I think that would depend entirely on um, who I would develop it with, because obviously I don't have a vineyard and I don't have a place to make wine. And so that would have to be the first decision is the place. Um, if I ended up at a, at a big house that had the ability to do a lot of great things, then I think it would, I always think it's fun to play with blends. Um, but, you know, the, the challenge of making something great with 100% of one thing, um, you know, that's a real gift. I guess the other thing though, is if I were to do a wine and it's 100%, let's say, Chardonnay, I have no real involvement in that process. Then it's really just the winemaker right. making the wine, let's face it. Um, with a blend, maybe I could play a more active role in, in participating. I mean, even single vineyards, let's face it, are still blends to a degree. Um, but yeah, so maybe a, maybe a blend. I don't know. I don't know. That's what we're going to end this on. That's a tough question, man. <laughs> no, there's another one. So <laughs> it might be that's tougher. Really, I don't know. That's a tough question. 
I do, think- do I I do love the idea of of blends and blending and creating complexity and and uh, from a hands-on approach, you know. But if it was purely just go find the best and come up with a business plan to make it ferio, my gut says I would do um, a single vineyard Chardonnay. Uh, probably. Chardonnay, really? Okay. I wouldn't yeah. have guessed that. And I would do um, either a a Pinot uh, or a Merlot, assuming I'm still staying in California. As much of a big as a cab guy as I am, I would want to make make wines that are um, drinkable and enjoyable without food. Mm-hmm. And the big monster cabs, I think you need some food. Yeah. So I'd be making I'd be making drinking wines, or I would do like a uh, the red. I would take that back. I'm going to change my mind. The white, probably Chardonnay, still Russian River. Um, but the red, I would make a Rhone style blend. But yeah, I would was, do it in the U.S. That was going to be my next question. Okay, so Rhone style blend, like so. Rhone style blend. Grenache, I didn't know- Syrah. Yeah, I love Grenache. Love that grape. It's fantastic. Um, I love Pinots too. Uh, Yamhill Valley, Oregon. I particularly like a lot of Pinot Noirs that come from that region and stuff. No, we had, um, I, I was drinking a blend that night and uh, you would, uh, you were like, hey, what's in it? And I told you, and you're like, oh, you're like, oh, it's like a super Tuscan. Um, so I didn't know if, you know, with your affinity for that, for that type of blend, if you would gravitate more towards an Italian style blend, but you said Rhone style. So, okay. All right. And what, what the Chardonnay still thing throws me off. I, I, you're, I, I definitely would not have guessed that you're a Chardonnay guy or. I'm a, I am. A, I love Chardonnay. I love white wines in general. Really? Okay. Um, you don't hear that but, very often. Oh, I love whites. I love whites, but I, I don't like the super sweet, overly buttery, like affected buttery, um, which can exist in some of the some of the big Napa ones, um, but you know a very clean, graceful uh, shard is hard to beat. Hard to beat. I I do enjoy some whites. I'm more of a Sauvignon Blanc and a Shannon Blanc kind of guy. Also great. Yeah, I love Sauvignon Blanc. And, There's and something about Chardonnay that just doesn't hit my palate. It's all about the producer. Yeah. I like Chardonnay that's like the Elegancia, which is when you when you taste it, it makes you say, oh, I need to drink more whites. Like to me, the Elegancia is a shade-wrapped cigar that people have a bias against at times. And when they light up Elegancia, the ability to surprise and exceed expectations with that blend um, for me is a, is a terrific moment. And I have that moment a lot with great whites. Many of them are Chardonnays, although certainly Sauvignon Blancs, Sancerre and whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I love whites. They're clean, they're refreshing. They, they're great. 
did not did not expect to hear that. That's Crocs that's, and Chardonnay. We got Crocs and Chardonnay. Speaking of which, I, I I took a I took a gander across uh, over your shoulder there. Those are those are Schrader's bottles, aren't they? Yes. Those, that's crazy. That's awesome. And some old some old dusties. And I see some beef eater Jim back there. Nice yeah. making some martinis. For the lady, you and the lady earlier tonight. I wish. <laughs> I was packing. All right. So the, the second part of this question is to, um, so, you, you know, we, I, I, you know, you've developed some of the more finer relationships outside of the industry as well as inside the relationship to Mike. We've talked about this on multiple occasions. And, and one of them is uh, I even asked you, I've asked you a couple of times in the past year, just, you know, for friends of mine or anything like that about restaurants in New York. And you seem to have, you know, you, you know, a lot of restaurateurs and you have a great affinity for that too. So, if, I mean, if you were to open a restaurant, what kind of a restaurant would you would you open? I mean, are we are we going straight up steakhouse, or do you think there's something you could a spin that you could do liver on the steakhouse that hasn't been done before, or would you do something completely different? I think I would do um, high end family style Italian. Okay. So not like red and white checker cloth. Um, you know, veal parmesan that feeds 30 in one bowl and endless bread. So not the place where Michael shot uh, Salazzo and uh, McCluskey. So not no, that. No, but that also, I don't even think family <laughs> style existed. But was that Luis? That was, yeah, Luis. Uh, but that was, that was actually high end. That was fine dining. Right. Uh, for me, it would be fine dining quality. Um, fine dining service, but with the intention that it is family style and shared. Interesting. So a plate of a plate of a lot of different dishes that everyone can enjoy together. Yeah, like Italian tapas, maybe. Yeah, Italian, <laughs> Italian tapas. I like it. Um, is there is there an Italian like what what's your what's your go to Italian dish? Um, you can actually find it in uh, Dave Garofalo's cookbook. Okay. Um, but I do um, orchietti with broccoli robin sausage. It's like my favorite thing to make. That sounds delicious. It's so good. It's like, if, I mean, if I have no inspiration, I just make that. And it's generally healthy. Like there's green stuff in it. Yeah. You know, so even though it's a bowl of pasta, it's a bowl of pasta with green and meat. I use turkey sausage. So at least it's a recognizable meat. <laughs> you know, seems like a strong strategy. That's my go-to. Nice. And my kids love it, and my wife loves it. There you go. Yeah. What kind? What kind of did you use? Is there any cheese in it, or what kind of cheese is used in it? Well, for a long time, my my youngest was allergic to dairy, so we didn't do cheese. Uh -huh. um, but otherwise, you can toss in pecorino, parmesan, whatever you want. Both. Yeah. Nice. Sounds good. It's I like. Really I think. I think sausage is one of the most underrated of the of, of Italian dishes for some reason. There's a lot of sausage being used, but like, I don't know. You, I feel like it's still underused too. Like especially like you go to any other Italian restaurant, you know, like you said, the the, the checker cloth and stuff like that. You you usually see like one, maybe two dishes with sausage, and I think it's under. I think there it's underused. Bring the sausage back, bro. I think <laughs> we need a campaign. <laughs> Sounds good. 
Michael, I can't thank you enough for your time tonight. I really do appreciate it. Um, I know you got an early flight, so we'll let you get on to that. I really do appreciate it. I'm really looking forward to the rest of 2022 and into 2023, uh, what you have planned with Ferriotega. It's going to be a really exciting time. 800 stores. 800, 800 stores. stores. Unbelievable. I'm super grateful. And if you're watching, please walk into one and ask them if they have Ferriotego. And if they don't, uh, hopefully we can get it to 801. But um, but if you if you have had the opportunity to enjoy the, the the cigars, I would just ask you to do one more thing and amplify it and tell somebody or post a photo or do whatever it is that you do when you share things that you're excited about um, because we are excited about it. We're super long term. We're in this to win this, and um, you know we're grateful for everyone's support, especially yours, Bear. So thanks for having me again. You're absolutely welcome, Michael. The pleasure was mine. Crocs, Chardonnay, bring the sausage back. We've got a lot of quotes from this one. A lot I of great it. takes. A lot I of great it. takes. You can tune in to all of our future takes. We have uh, we have the uh, head of the PCA board, president of the PCA board, Greg Zimmerman, on next week. So you'll definitely want to tune in for that for our 219 take. We've got some other excellent takes on the way for you. You can always find out where they are on our Facebook page. That is L.O. Kumar. YouTube face uh, YouTube channel is of the same name. You can hit that subscribe button and tune in and watch um, all these fantastic videos. If you can't catch us live every Sunday night and listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, or iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to podcasts, be sure you hit the download, subscribe, and review button. If you are a subscriber, do me a favor. Hit unsubscribe, but please don't forget to hit resubscribe. That helps my numbers so I can continue to get great guests like the one and only Michael Herklotz back uh, whenever I ask him to. He's so grateful uh, and so wonderful and so accommodating to me. Anytime I ask, um, it's unbelievable. He takes my phone call every time. I still believe it. I still can't believe it every time I call you. You pick up the phone. It still blows me away. Well, uh, You're in the caller ID. That's it. <laughs> uh, thanks, Michael. Thanks to everybody out there. All those likes, all those shares, all those comments. Remember, thank you. This is Bear Duplissy. This was our 218th take live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azle, Texas. Again, I'm Bear Duplissy. He's Michael Herklotz. We'll see you next time. Carry Otego.